What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to go back in time a little bit, back to July of 2019, to the Vermont 100. This would have been my first 100-mile ultramarathon, and I was super stoked about it. I had trained so hard, the hardest I've ever trained in my life, um, and it was my first 100, so obviously, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. Not only that, but I put a lot of pressure on myself by posting kind of a series on YouTube of, uh, you know, my first 100-mile ultramarathon. And that series kind of picked up steam and actually was kind of the catalyst to the Chase the Summit YouTube channel as a whole, really. Um, and, it, you know, that was kind of the major, I think that was the major problem. I had all this pressure. I felt like I was expected to perform because people were watching, you know, and I wasn't used to that. So I didn't know how to handle it. And I obviously didn't handle it too well because I went off the rails, man. Everything blew up that day in Vermont. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. June 2019, I had uh, a race that was kind of important. It would, it would have been my uh, Vermont 100 qualifier. You know, if you don't, if you don't know about the Vermont 100, it's an, it's a really old iconic race. There is a qualifier. I think it's a hundred miler. Uh, you have to run a hundred miler under 32 hours, or you have to run a 50 milers under 12 hours. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but yeah, there's a qualifier. Uh, so I was running this 50 mile race out in Chesterfield, Massachusetts, which is, um, about an hour from where I live. And this race was called the Chester Chesterfield Gorge, uh, ultra in this race had multiple different distances. So they had everything from, I think it went down to 25 K all the way up to a hundred miles. And I opted to run the 50, the 50 mile distance. And so this course, it was pretty chill. Like I think the net elevation loss on each lap was like 400 feet or something. And each lap was uh, seven miles long. So it was an out and back course where You'd start on one end, run this kind of straight trail, it, almost like a old railroad track. It was pretty straight uh, out for, you know, 50 miles or whatever. And then um, you'd turn around at the end point and then run back to the beginning. So pretty simple. There was an, uh, there was an aid station in the middle of the course and then one on both ends. Uh, the starting line was an aid station. And then the turnaround point was an aid station, which they called uh, the boil the boiler room was the name they coined for it because of uh, it was kind of exposed. There were no no tree cover or anything, and um, it was very sunny and hot that day. So they called it the boiler room for good reason. It was like a two mile span uh, on like a sandy kind of uh, kind of yeah kind of a sandy terrain that went out to this aid station up on a road. And then you turn around and run back that two miles. So you're kind of exposed in the sun for a good four miles. And it was hot, man. It was, it was hot, hot out there that day. So the Chesterfield Gorge 100 went really well for me. It was surprising. I, I had trained my butt off so hard and done all the right things. I, I even stopped, you know, drinking alcohol. And I was really trying to be in the best shape of my life, which I was, spoiler alert, uh, so the Chesterfield 100 or 50 miler went great. I ended up taking uh, first place mail, which was a total surprise to me because of the nature of this race. It's multiple distances, right? So 
I didn't know really where I stood in the grand scheme of things throughout all the runners because I didn't know what distances everyone was running. Um, you know, except for the people I talked to along the way when we kind of share, you know, what distance we were doing or whatever. So I didn't really know until I, I crossed the finish line and everyone started, you know, cheering for me and patting me on the back that I actually won, you know, first place male. There was a, a girl, a woman in front of me who was super fast. Uh, she had beaten me by like uh, five or 10 minutes, I forget. But yeah, that went really well. So needless to say, I qualified <laughs> for the Vermont 100. And the cool thing about that race is that the uh, race director of the Chesterfield Gorge 100 was also the race director of the Vermont 100. So, you know, anybody who was qualifying at that race, they had a little bell that you got to ring and I rang it. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of silly, but it, it meant a lot to me. So, you know, that went really well. Well, in walking away from the Chesterfield race, I had tons of confidence. I was like, man, that I just cruised through that 50 miler. I wasn't even that wrecked. Uh, you know, I, I recovered pretty quickly. I was back to running a couple of days later. So I had nothing but confidence going into uh, July when the Vermont 100 would be happening. So in comes July and the Vermont 100. I pack up my stuff. I was all organized. I had my camera gear because I was planning on filming in the hotel room and, and, you know, capturing the whole race and journey. Um, so I drove the two hours up to Vermont to Silver Hill, where the starting line is. And this was the day before the race. Uh, they have like a pre-race meeting. You get to pick, pick up your bib and drop off your drop bags and all that stuff. They also had like a kind of a barbecue dinner thing for all the runners. And then the race director would be um, making a speech about the course and everything that we needed to know for the following day. So I got up there pretty early and I was just kind of hanging around, enjoying the vibe. And it's such an awesome, awesome vibe up there like so much energy and you can feel like how historic the race is by um, just the area. And, you know, the it's just, it's a really great, it's a beautiful area, very hilly, very green in Vermont. And um, yeah, I was, I was very excited. So uh, the pre-race meeting happens in Amy, the race director is giving her speech and she's talking about how hot it's going to be. Uh, and one, one quote stands out from that, from that, uh, that briefing, she, she said, uh, don't be a hero, be a finisher because of how hot it's going to be. Meaning drop all your goals and expectations, drop your, your, your hope to get a PR, um, you know, drop everything and just aim on follow, you know, finishing the race. And that's all that matters. And she was totally right. I should have listened a little harder to what she was saying. <laughs> uh, that's just a foreshadowing of what's to come. So I go back to the hotel room and I, you know, I'm obsessing over what's going to be in my vest. Uh, you know, am I going to carry the blister kit? Am I going to put that in my drop bag? Am I going to start the race with tailwind? Am I going to put that in my drop bag? And because I didn't have a crew, I was doing the solo. I had a lot of kind of logistics to think about, um, for the race that a lot of other people didn't have to worry about because they had crews in, in retrospect, I probably should have tried a little harder to have a crew. But uh, I, my pride got in the way. And the fact that at Vermont, they actually have a different um, finisher. Uh, they give you like an extra, like a cup that says solo finisher or something that I really wanted. So <laughs> so I went I went solo. 
so I'm up in my hotel room in Vermont, um, you know, kind of organizing my vest and all my things. And I actually did film a video about this that I never posted and I don't intend to. Um, and, and then, you know, I tried to get in bed early, but obviously, you know, my nerves were there. So I didn't really get to bed that early. I kept, you know, st I stayed up a little late, watched TV, whatever. Uh, and before I knew it at like 4am, my alarm clock goes off to, uh, to start getting ready for the race. So, uh, I wake up, I, uh, had a cup of coffee and, you know, just kind of mulled around a little bit, got, got my chief stick on, <laughs> on my ankles and <laughs> my armpits and, you know, anywhere where I knew my vest would be rubbing on me. Um, and, you know, kind of packed my things and, and got out the door. Uh, I had a short drive down to Silver Hill where the race would be starting. Uh, I got there really early, actually, uh, way ahead of time. And everyone was there, you know, the runners were just kind of mulling around. And the one thing that was immediately apparent about that morning was that it was dark in and early in the hills of Vermont, where it's typically cool, even in the summer. And this morning was hot, man, like really freaking hot. <laughs> it like we were all standing still at the starting line. A lot of, you know, people who are in great shape sweating and we're not even moving yet. I was soaked through my shirt and my shorts before I even started jogging. <laughs> it was bad. It was super hot, very humid, lots of bugs out, kind of, you know, worst case scenario for, for a uh, long foot race. So we were all just kind of chatting at the, at the starting line and, um, you know, socializing a little bit before the race. And, uh, before we knew it, we're counting down, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and then boom, we're all, we're all out there. Um, and I think early on in the race, I, I probably gassed it a little too hard. I remember, you know, it's so weird. Like the first few miles, you're just, it's such a cluster of people that you, I wanted to just kind of get ahead or behind everybody. Cause I don't like running in that a large group. We, there's like 300 of us, you know, kind of all on a single track at the beginning of the race. Um, it was just too cluttered for me. Uh, but I did end up settling down to a pretty, pretty chill pace. And I was running with kind of an older guy who had run the race before. And he, uh, was talking about his strategy and, um, you know, what, what, how he was going to deal with the Hills of Vermont. Cause for anyone who doesn't know the statistics of the Vermont 100, it's about, 100 miles in distance and about 17,000 feet of elevation gain. That's kind of a lot of elevation gain. I mean, it's not the most. There's definitely hillier races out there, but um, yeah, it's a lot. So you gotta you gotta pace yourself, um, or else you're gonna burn out your quads. And the other really unique thing about Vermont is that the hills aren't. It's not like mountain terrain. So you you're not on like these you know single track boulder ridden trails where it's almost like you're climbing, climbing a staircase. It's, it's very, um, rampy. They're mainly horse trails and Jeep roads. So the trails don't necessarily have like stairs to climb. It's, it's all at an angle, but there's a lot of Hills. And so, um, you end up kind of, your foot's always at a weird angle when you're climbing and descending. And if you're not used to that kind of stuff, you can, you can do a lot of damage early on in the race. And that will happen to your quads, your calves, your Achilles. Um, even like the plantar fascia can, can have issues. Uh, so I, I wasn't feeling any of that. In fact, I was feeling pretty good early on in the race. And my strategy was just to hydrate like crazy. 
so this guy I'm running with, he's got this strategy that he's working on and that he's going to walk any hill that he could envision a golf ball rolling down, which I thought was pretty clever, actually. And I tried to keep that in mind, uh, run, you know, early on in the race. If you walk early, you're going to last longer. So I tried to focus on that. And it kind of worked. You know, I, I, um, I definitely saved uh, some of my energy early on. Uh, so, you know, fast forward to about mile, I want to say mile 23, I think, uh, that's where we approached the first crude aid station called pretty house. Um, they have a lot of unique names on the, the course for the, uh, aid stations, but pretty house was the first crude aid station. And this was kind of a milestone because when we rolled in all the runners coming in, lots of cheering, lots of tents, uh, you know, a lot of people there. Um, because of all the crew being around and it was, you know, super exciting. They did have a, a table out for solo runners with uh, typical aid station food. I'm pretty sure I relied heavily on watermelon. I don't know why. That's all my body wanted was watermelon. So I ate a bunch of watermelon. I think I had a PB&J. I refilled my tailwind because I leveraged that a lot during this race and um, got back out there. So I was feeling pretty good at, at uh, mile 23. Things were still holding together, even though it was really hot out. Uh, I was doing a pretty good job at managing my temperature. Uh, and the nice thing about the Vermont 100 course is that they had these um, coolers full of ice out at various places, like really close together even. There were some like just a few miles apart. So we were able to restock on ice pretty regularly. But I had one rookie mistake with the ice situation in that I didn't have an ice bandana. And if you're not familiar, this is like a uh, a bandana that's it's got like a pocket in it where you can stuff a bunch of ice and then wear it around your neck. So you've got this really cool ice filled bandana that's dripping water down your back. Um, and a lot of people were wearing them like almost every runner had an ice bandana on, except for me, of course. So <laughs> that's my mistake. Uh, I was just kind of using my, my buff and kind of stuffing that in the ice and getting it real nice and wet and tying it around my neck. That was working pretty well, but like, uh, you know, 10 minutes away from that point at which I dunked the buff, it would warm up pretty quickly. So it wasn't kind of a long-term solution. It was just kind of a nice refreshing thing to do every now and then. Um, so I just kept doing that over and over again. So, you know, I get to mile 23, pretty house. Everything's going okay. I continue on and the, the sun's starting to raise higher in the sky at this point. And it is freaking hot. I think the, the highest recorded that day was 110 or 112 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. So very, very, very hot for a day. This kind of day would be like the kind you go out your door and you're like, ah, maybe I'll, uh, Maybe I'll do something else today because it's too hot. Um, so yeah, running in this was brutal. Just, you know, the sun was unrelenting. There was no clouds in the sky. And a lot of the trails that, that are on the hills are, are pretty exposed. So there was a lot of sun exposure. I kept trying to put on, you know, sunblock and I was wearing a hat and uh, I had, um, you know, arm sleeves and things like that to try to manage the, the heat and the sunlight, but it, you know, it was kind of a, a losing battle at a certain point. So I'm, I'm trucking along and I'm still feeling okay. Uh, I want to say by like mile 32 to 35, you know, it's, it's weird to say because pretty, 
pretty house was mile 23, but, uh, I want to say from like 32 to 35, that's only like 10 miles later, uh, things started to rapidly go downhill. So the first issue I had was, um, nausea kicking in. So I actually didn't feel that bad, but I started to feel sick. You know, like my gut was kind of churning and not feeling right. Um, so to manage that, I just, I tried to take in more tailwind and, um, I kind of laid off solid foods for a while. I was just kind of relying on fluids and I could kind of tell it wasn't really my gut. It was kind of a product of being dehydrated. So I knew I needed to increase my water intake. And during this race, I actually had two, uh, 500 milliliter flasks in my vest. And that's what I was using for water. And I thought that would be enough because the aid stations are pretty close to each other. There's some that are like three to five miles apart, but I was reaching a point now where I was running out of water before the next refill point. And that's when I knew I had a problem because I was, I was taking in tailwind, water, salt pills, electrolytes, just everything I could. And when I hit the next refill point, I would be bone dry to the point where I was actually thirsty and you should never feel thirsty. <laughs> so I knew there was a real problem going on. So at this point, I started to double down. I would get to an aid station. I would refill the bottles, drink them bone dry. So I'm, you know, totally hydrated. And then I'd fill them again to try to get me to the next aid station. And again, I would, I would run out of water. And at this point, you know, I'm peeing, I'm peeing a lot. I'm, uh, I'm still nauseous. Uh, and now I'm starting to notice muscle issues. Like my legs are cramping. Um, I noticed even my like ab abdomen were cramping and my arms started to feel weird. Everything started to feel just off. And it was mainly due to like spasms in, in my calves. I was having these like, it almost felt like the electrocution where everything would just kind of jiggle around and tighten up and then let go. Um, and it just kept happening. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> now we're at, let's see, probably about mile 40. So we're at mile 40 and I'm about, I want to say five miles away from the next aid station. And at this point, it's going through my mind that I, I'm, I, there's very little chance that I'm going to finish this race. Um, it, it, I started to think, uh, I'm going to quit there. I have to, because I'm, I'm either going to seriously injure myself or hurt myself, my internal organs or something. Uh, you know, the, the chances of actually finishing at this point just seemed very low. So at this point I'm walking, I'm walking in the hills of Vermont and these hills are brutal at this point. There's big climbs in these Jeep roads and they're kicking my butt. So at this point, I, I get into the aid station. The crew at this aid station, they were really awesome. They were giving me a pep talk. I had let them know how I was feeling. Uh, things weren't looking good for me. Uh, so they sat me down in a like a lawn chair underneath their tent. So they got me out of the sun for a minute. So this aid station had a couple of things that really helped me out. Uh, they had a fan that was misting water at me. Uh, and they had sat me down in kind of a lawn chair underneath their tent. So they got me out of the sun. Uh, they're giving me a pep talk. Just, hey man, you can do it. You know, all these things. And then actually another runner came through who recognized me from my YouTube channel. And they were like, chase the summit. Yeah, man, uh, good luck. And I was like, I don't know, you're going to see a DN, you're going to see a DNF video about this. <laughs> and it was just like, I was not in a good space. Um, 
So they just kept trying to pick me up. And the final thing that really, that was amazing at the seat station was that they had popsicles. I forget what kind. They were like purple and red. You know those rocket ship looking popsicles? That's what they had. And I tell you, those were the most delicious things I had ever eaten in my life at that point. I was sucking down those things like crazy. I think I ate like four of them. Uh, I was trying to hydrate like crazy. I was taking in the tailwind. But I got to a point, I'm sitting in a chair and my calves are like, I can't explain it, but they were spasming so hard that it looked like little ripples going up and down my muscle, like involuntary ripples of uh, muscle just moving around in such a weird way. Uh, and that's, and then the final straw was there was a guy sitting next to me who dropped and he was, he looked in rougher shape than me. He was borderline conscious. Like he was just kind of slumped over in his chair. Um, they were trying to feed him water and stuff, but he was not looking good. There was just a point in the heat where no matter what I did, I couldn't cool down and sweat was just pouring out of me. I was nauseous. It was just, this overwhelming amount of heat, it felt like I, I had stuck my head in a clothes dryer and it just couldn't be, there was nothing that made it better. And yeah, maybe I could have gotten back out there and walked into the next aid station, but I don't think my chances of finishing, I don't think there was any chance at that point physically of crossing the finish line. So the guy next to me had already tapped out and because of that, they had called for a transport to get that guy back to the starting line, which logistically is pretty tough. They've got these vans that shuttle, uh, shuttle around the fire roads and, and Jeep roads um, and pick up runners who have dropped. And on this day, quite a few people dropped, but we'll talk about that more a little later. Uh, so the, they had already radioed in for the van. And in the meantime, we had to kind of stick it out at this aid station and and, uh, and wait, basically I still hadn't like officially dropped, but knowing that guy had a van coming, <laughs> it had, it had, had me in my seat a lot longer than I wanted to be. So I ate popsicles and water and stuff. The van showed up. I was still kind of undecided, not really, but I didn't want to verbalize that I quit. And then the driver of the van got out and he was like, you guys ready? And I was just like, yeah. I'm ready. Let's, let's get out of here. So we, we got in the van and thank God they had air conditioner going in the van, like full blast as cold as they could get it. And that brought me back to life almost instantly. Like that really helped a lot, but I still felt pretty, pretty off at that point. So we, uh, we, we drove, it was a really long, really long ride back to the starting line because we were 45 miles in plus this van had to pick up other runners we weren't the only people only people who had dropped it turns out at the end of the day 60 percent of the field more than half of the people who started this race dropped and most of it was because of heat issues which is a staggering amount of people who dropped so if you imagine you're the driver of this van you got to drive around and pick up all these dropped runners and the van only held like probably eight people eight maybe 10 people max including the passenger seat so they were busy they're certainly busy uh and during this time you know uh, during the final hours of walking and sitting in the chair i had cell phone reception so i was texting my wife not feeling good i don't know if i can do this yada 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 just all all bad things and my wife was um you know in massachusetts which is two hours away but she had the 
uh, she had the, she knew me well enough where if I'm quitting something, she knows it's really bad. So she had actually dropped our kids off at her parents' house and she started driving north because she knew what kind of shape I was in, which, um, you know, was really great. So, uh, I, I had just gotten back to the starting line and I'm still texting her, not knowing what, what she's up to. Um, and you know, I, I'm walking, I'm walking, uh, by the, st- the parking area in the starting line and there's my wife with a smile on her face. And, uh, it was just, it was really nice to see her there. Um, it really took the edge off of the horrible feeling I, I had going on. Um, and you know, I still had a hotel room for the night because I planned on finishing really late. And uh, we talked about maybe we just stay in Vermont and go home the next day. But my, I don't know, my, I was feeling pretty down in the dumps. So I decided that I want to drive back home. And that's what we did. We drove two hours back home. So she, she drove up two hours just to basically give me a hug and then follow me home. And, uh, I really appreciated that. So we drove all the way home. We got dinner and this feeling I had of all my muscles and my insides hurting and everything still wasn't going away. And in the worst part, I'm probably getting too graphic on this was when I peed, it was like, it was like Brown, like Coca-Cola, awful, like motor oil. Anyways, after that, I did some digging on some of the symptoms I was having and uh, how I was feeling. And it turns out I probably had something called rhabdomyolysis, rhabdomyolysis. I forget how I pronounce it, but people call it rhabdo for short. So rhabdo is basically a form of really bad dehydration where your kidneys essentially like shut down and um, they kind of leak. From what I understand, they kind of like leak toxins into your bloodstream or something. Uh, it's really bad and, and people can die from it it can get that bad. Um, so I was lucky in that I pulled the plug early. Um, and the weird thing is after this race, I didn't feel right for like weeks to the point where I actually went to a doctor and they did a bunch of labs to check on me, but my levels had come back and, you know, they had explained to me that if I did do damage that day, uh, I might've recovered by the time they tested. So who knows basically, but it took, it took like a solid month of kind of taking it easy before I started to feel like I was getting my endurance back. After that race, I couldn't go for like a 5k run without feeling like extreme thirst. It was really weird. So anyways, that's just my story about the Vermont 100. Um, I just wanted to share it. I don't know why. I, I, I started thinking about the Vermont 100 a lot lately uh, because they actually canceled the race this year and I was signed up for it again. And I was trying to, you know, I thought this podcast would be a fun way to reminisce on, on that event. It was a, it was a really awesome event. It was a great day. It was just too dang hot. And I think if it was, you know, 10 degrees cooler, things could have gone wildly differently for me. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This is just a short story from me and uh, what happened at the Vermont 100 in 2019. If you want to hear more episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Check out the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.